we get started this morning on this morning's lesson, I have a correction to make on last week's sermon. On last week's sermon, I said that the word, or I, I cited the word reveler, which means partier. It's coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. When in actuality, it comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, which I did cite in the immediate context and used it correctly, but cited the wrong passage. The word actually in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 is reviler, not reveler. So uh, the word is reviler, and it means one who rails against or one who constantly um, finds a lot of loud fault and that sort of thing. So I just wanted to make that quick, that quick correction in last week's lesson. Speaking of last week's lesson, I appreciate all of the kind words of encouragement about the topics and, and the lessons last week. The, the first one was on biblical compassion. Biblical compassion. And the second one, which was an outgrowth of the first one, was on the Christ-like love and compassion that we need to have in all of those, on all of those who are caught up in the abomination of sin. Particularly last Sunday night's lesson had to do with the sin of the practice of homosexuality and how we as God's children must respond to and treat those who practice it with compassion. If you missed either one of those lessons and you're wondering what I'm talking about, you can either give them a listen on the church's Facebook page or at godswordistruth.org. And the reason, one reason I bring that up is because today's lesson kind of flows out of that whole theme, kind of flows out of that and could actually be considered, although I didn't intend it this way when I started, uh, today's could actually be considered as the third in a series on compassion. As today, we discuss the exact opposite and absolute killer of Christ-like compassion. Today, as we talk about the one inherent evil, the one inherent evil that lies at the very heart and soul, if you will, of virtually every sin ever committed. You say, well, that covers quite a bit. Every sin ever committed, and this is the, the one element that lies at the heart and soul of almost every sin ever committed. Yep. Yep. Today, we're going to discuss that, that killer of Christ-like compassion, that that one inherent evil that is found at the base and as the foundation of pretty much every sin and abomination imaginable. And that element, most simply put, is simply pride. That's it. Sinful, self-first, self-serving, self-righteous, self-promoting, and self-soul-condemning pride. I know that it has been well-documented over the years. I know that it has been well-studied within our brotherhood over the years. And we understand very well that the very first weapon that Satan ever unleashed on God's creation was an appeal to pride. The very first one. And I would dare say that it's not only the very first weapon that he unleashed on God's creation, but his most effective 
And that is, again, pride. We've often discussed this from Genesis chapter 3. It's a well-traveled truth within our congregations. And although I'm going to begin there in Genesis 3 today, in just a moment, it was with this very familiar truth, what I hope to impress upon us as we journey from there is just how always present this element is in almost every sin. It's, it's amazing when you stop and think about it and you really examine sin, this sin, that sin, some other sin, some other sin, how pride lies at the root of pretty much all of them. It's the key, and Satan knows that. It's a pretty much universal evil. We know the account. We know that Satan comes into the, he's there in the garden, and we know that tempts Eve and he asks her, no, you know, did God say you shall not eat of it? And she said, every fruit, you know, we can eat of the trees, but not this one. And they have their little discussion. But in Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5, the serpent says to the woman, remember, God had said and told her, and she knew it, and she repeated it, on the day we eat of it, we'll die. And the serpent says to her in verse 4 of Genesis 3, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That was nothing short, as we all know, nothing short of an appeal to pride. You can be like God. God doesn't want you like him. You could be like God, you know. And it was an appeal to her pride, to put herself first and to, to be equal to God. Can you imagine the utopian existence that we would have today? <clears throat> the incredible life that we would all be living and enjoying if mankind had never come to know what evil was, if we had never come to experience evil, if, if we had never known about lying or lusting or fighting or hating or hurting or killing or blaming, if those were all totally foreign concepts, we had no, no idea of, wouldn't life be an incredible place? Almost be like heaven, wouldn't it? If we never had that knowledge he said, oh, no, you can, you can be like God. We can, we can elevate you. You see, what Satan did was appeal to their pride. You will be like God. And pride, in its most ugly and sinful and satanic and simplistic form, is just simply putting itself and its desires first and foremost above and beyond all others at all costs and even above those of God himself. That's what it is. And, and a little side note, I'm going to stay with me there, but I, I have to bring in this little sidebar, if you will, this little side note. Have you ever stopped thinking about this? Satan told them, day you eat of it, you'll be like God. And she jumped at the chance to be like God. Satan gave them the wrong way to be like God. But look at the irony today. Does God give us the right way to be like him today? Does God give us the opportunity to be transformed into his image through Christ Jesus? Yes, he does. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Yes, he does. It's amazing to me that, that you see the two exact opposites there. Satan said, here's the wrong way. He said, here's the way. But his was the wrong way to be like God, and she jumped at it. And yet God gives us an opportunity today 
to become Christians, to be baptized into Christ, to be transformed into his likeness, to become more like God in a good way, and people don't want it. Overall, generally speaking, they don't want anything to do with it. They want to stay unlike God. They want to stay themselves. It's amazing to me. Just amazing when I think about how oppositely we are. In light of the fact that pride in its most ugly, sinful, satanic, and simplistic form always puts itself and its desires first and foremost, above and beyond all others, at all costs, and even above those of God himself, when you think about that, in that definition, it is easy to see why it is the exact opposite of Christ-like compassion, because Christ-like compassion is just the opposite of that definition. Christ-like compassion puts others first. Luke 23 and verse 34, we talked about a little bit in the adult class this morning. Father, please forgive them, for they know not what they do. That was compassion. That put them first. Philippians 2, 3 through 5, says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. So you see, when I make the statement that pride is the exact opposite of compassion, it is exactly that. Because again, compassion worries about others first. Pride worries about itself first. And they are, they are completely opposite. And, and you, can't, you can't give both of them dominion in your life because they're mutually exclusive. Whenever you see the words in the Bible, proud, envy, selfish or self-seeking, almost without exception, they indicate the ugly presence, the abominable presence of pride in a bad way, of prideful me-first promotion and self-indulgence. And wherever such prideful me-first self-promotion and indulgence is present, it completely destroys the selfless compassion the me last quality of Christ-like compassion that we are supposed to have, that Jesus came and showed us how to have. And, and until we stop and consider just how everywhere, how, how all-encompassing, how ever-present this is, the smallest tip of, of just how ever-present this is in, in all of the sins carried out in the Bible, or almost all of the sins that are carried out in the Bible, until we understand how lethal it is and how potent it is and how ever-present it is, we're not going to guard against it the way we should. We're not going to realize how dangerous it is. Because Satan's first weapon, best weapon to use on mankind, the one he seeks to use on you and me on a daily basis, an hourly basis, is pride. Consider with me the story from Genesis 4. And, and I can't go to every story because we've run out of time. I can't go to every count. When I tell you that every sin in the Bible, pride's at the root of almost every one, we'd have to pretty much go to every sin in the Bible to make that point. I'm not going to do that. Okay? Let's just say that there's, there's tens of thousands of them or how many ever that I'm leaving out here. Okay. 
But, but just to, to show you where this started, we know Genesis 3, but notice it continues in Genesis 4. Stop and think about, with all of these examples, how pride is really at the root of it. In, in Genesis 4, verse 3, story Cain and Abel. Verse 3, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. They both had the same opportunity, did they not? And they both had the opportunity to do well and to do right and to bring the right thing and, and all of that. And, and the thing is, is that Cain was angry. His pride was hurt. He'd been rejected. His gift had been rejected. He wasn't on, on the same level as Abel, if, as, as it were. And so in his pride, instead of working to make it right, he got angry. He got, he got mad. He got fighting. He got beyond fighting mad. He got killing mad. Why? Pride. Pride was at the heart of that. He was so prideful that he couldn't accept that his offering was unacceptable. Instead of humbling himself before God, God said, God told him right here, look, Sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but, but you should rule over it. God told him, in effect, look, you can humble yourself. You can make this right. You can, you can beat pride. You can do it. But we know that he chose not to. We could, just, just a few that I, I've picked here, if we stop and think about it, if, if we consider the Israelites. The Israelites, when they were going through their wanderings and getting ready to go into the promised land on a couple of occasions. Some of their leaders, if you will, were so proud that they decided or sought to get rid of God's anointed leadership and replace him, that is Moses, with themselves because they thought they could do a whole lot better job. Numbers chapter 12 and Numbers chapter 16 would detail both of those things or, or two instances of that. They thought they could do a better job. So they sought ungodly ways to do away with Moses. And it was pride. Do, do you know, remember, obviously you remember, the three kings, okay? Saul, David, Solomon. All three of those kings, all three of them, pride would be at the heart and soul of so many of their problems. So much so that the third one of them, that is Solomon, would write in Proverbs 16 and verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Consider those three kings with me. Consider King Saul. Now, King Saul started out real humble man. But if you consider his trying to kill David, what was at the root of him trying to kill David? He was resentful of David. He was envious of David. He was jealous of David. And, and his pride in that is what forced him to try to kill David. That was at the root of, pride was at the root of that sin of seeking to kill David. Good old pride. 
David becomes king. Somehow this, this little shepherd youth boy that had defeated Goliath would been so humble that he would not touch God's anointed, that is King Saul. Somehow as time went on, he got so full of pride that he thought it was okay that he could just have another man's wife and just not a problem. The whole David Bathsheba thing, part of that whole problem was pride. Who is this woman? Well, that's the right wife of Uriah. Send her, bring her to me. That isn't pride, that isn't arrogance. That's pride. Hey, I'm the king. I can have whoever I want. When Samuel came to him later, he found out he couldn't. But pride was the heart of that problem. Pride after which he came to understand because Samuel told him, this is going to cause all kinds of problems in your house for years to come. The sword's not going to depart from your house, David. The problem there was pride. Pride was the root problem that caused Solomon to take all those foreign wives. God had said, don't do this. He was king. He had all these riches, thought he could do anything he wanted to do. Pride was at the heart and soul of that problem with all of those foreign wives who turned his heart away from following God. Now, you're not going to come out in the Bible and see every one of these sins listed where it says, and pride was his problem, but it's easy to see. Everything you see in the four Gospels about the scribes and the Pharisees, getting rid of Jesus, root problem, number one, was pride. Pilate knew they had handed him over because of envy. They were jealous. John chapter 11. They plotted to get rid of him again and again. Why? Because they were afraid that the Romans would come and take away their place in their nation. The whole problem, all of them trying to get rid of Jesus, came down to one simple problem. Pride. Me first. We're right. And that's the way it is. Pride both is and has been at the heart and soul of pretty much every conflict in war that has been fought in the world as well as in the Lord's Church over the past 2,000 years. Listen, if you don't think pride is the problem in the Ukraine with Putin's invasion, it's pride. I am stronger, I am bigger, I will make them conform to my will. That's pride. Every, all that destruction that was mentioned earlier that we're also aware of that you see on TV, the root of that problem is pride. That's the root. That's where that all came from. Pride. The heart of one man. Denominations today. Where do all the denominations come from? Well, I'm going to teach it this way. Well, this is what I believe, and so this is the way we're going to do it. Pride, rather than doing it God's way, rather than humbling yourself before God and simply there being one church which Jesus prayed for in John 17, one church, one faith, one doctrine, one baptism, one body. No, I'm going to do it this way because, you know, I'm, I'm smarter than God. Now, that's not, what, that's not what a lot of good intentions were there. I'm not saying that's everybody's intentions, but that's the way this has worked out. Pride. We're covering James in the adult class on Wednesday nights. James chapter 4. What was the cause of quarrels and fights among them? They envied because they didn't have and they were willing to kill to get what they wanted. Pride. All of it. Pride. Is at the root. So because there's absolutely nothing any more deadly or devastating or destructive than this type of pride that we are talking about this morning, I want for us to explore three 
biblical facets of the evil presence of pride or slash the awful absence of compassion because again, they're mutually exclusive. You can't have 100% pride and, and operate on 100% pride and operate on 100% compassion because they're mutually exclusive. It's either one or the other. And the reason I wanna do this this morning is because wherever a trace, a trace amount of this type of pride can be found in our hearts, we must work to neutralize it and eliminate it before it can neutralize and eliminate compassion in our hearts. That's why. Because if the compassion in our hearts gets eliminated by pride, then there will be souls that will be lost because of it. So the first biblical facet that I want for us to discuss this morning, pride is what causes people not to seek God. Pride is what causes people not to seek God. Proverbs 10, uh, Psalms 10, and verse 4. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Pride is at the heart and soul of what causes people not to seek God. People think they can handle it on their own. People think they can do it by themselves. People have come to believe in certain other people and put their pride and trust in other people who say there is no God. People just want to live their own way first and foremost and they are therefore unwilling to seek and submit to God and put his way first, pride. I don't want, you Christians don't ever have, boy do they not know us, you Christians don't ever have any fun. I have a lot of fun, okay, I'm just saying. But people see us and they think, well, you can't live and you can't do this and you can't have fun. You know, when I have fun, okay, when I have fun and I go and visit brethren and we travel to a gospel meeting, when I wake up the next morning and I can remember what I did the night before, now that's fun. That's not their type of fun. But, but a lot of people, a, a lot of people won't submit to God because they don't want to, to put his way first because in their pride they want to live their way. Similarly, in a very similar vein, it's the same pride that makes people think they can create God in their own image. So many people have a picture of Jesus, but it ain't the one Jesus in the Bible. They have a picture of God whom they've created in their own minds, and we talked about this not too long ago in a sermon. Pride is what makes people think that they can live the way they want, say anything they want, do anything they want, worship or not, any way they want, and still believe that's good enough to get them into heaven. That's their pride. I can do this. It's at the root of it. I once had somebody tell me, you think you're so much better than everybody else because you just because you go to church. <laughs> and my response, in effect, was no. And I know I've told you this before, but it, it's too fitting to let go. No, I, I don't think I'm better than anybody else because I go to church. I know I'm not as good as most people. That's why I go to church. I go there to get the help I need. It's actually, and I was talking with this individual, I said, it, it's actually people like you that don't go to church that think you're good enough on your own to get to heaven without Jesus, but I know I need him. That's pride. I don't need church. I don't need God. I'm doing fine. 
As a further sort of this illustration of pride, you ever studied with certain folks and when you come to a certain point in the scriptures where God said there's something you must do in order to be saved, what's the response? Many of them in their pride, even though they say, yeah, I can read it, I can read what it says, they think they know better than what God said. Pride is there, working through all of that. And so the question I ask is how many billions of people on Judgment Day will be sent to eternal hell simply because they did not seek to know God and the reason they did not seek to know God was because of too much pride in their hearts. In that case, you can see where pride neutralizes compassion because on that day, because of their pride at not seeking God, it is going to neutralize the effect of God's compassion that he wants to have on them because they have left him no choice but to send them to hell. Pride is a terribly powerful thing. Biblical facet number two, even those who start out strong and faithful in their walk with God can still sometimes easily get caught up in and destroyed by the awful and abominable sin of pride. You can turn to 2 Chronicles 26 with me if you would. I want to just highlight a few verses, but I want you there so you can see what I'm talking about. King Uzziah, 2 Chronicles chapter 26. In verses 3 through 5 of 2 Chronicles 26, it tells us that Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. Still hearing pages. I love pages. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah. Here's a young man, 16, and he's starting out so good. And he's seeking God just like Amaziah had done. Verse 7 goes on to confirm for us further, God helped him. God helped him because this young man was humble before God. He wanted God. He was doing, out, he was doing wonderful as he started out in his walk with God. God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Gerbael, and against the Mayanites. Verses 8 through 15, and you can see this in your own Bible, they go on to chronicle his fame and his riches and his achievements and the strength and the power and the splendor and the glory of his 300,000 plus member army that God had blessed him with. This man is going good with God. God is blessing him and he's seeking God and he's doing what's right in God's eyes. And sadly, we read in verses 15 and 16 the following. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelous. I love that word there, marvelously helped. Till he became strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God. He started out so good. He started out so faithful. He started out being blessed so heavily. God helped him marvelously. But when he got strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, 
the valiant and righteous men of God who, who sought to correct him and, and tell him his fault in verse 9, it says he became furious with them. And that, and that just goes on to show you the, the incredible, powerful, evil reach and results that pride can have. Even within the hearts and souls of, of some who had once served God, those who had humbled themselves before God, like Uzziah, pride got him to the point, that is Uzziah, where, where he just would not take the correction of God easily. He would not take the message of God or the messengers of God, no matter what. In, instead of being humble and grateful and compassionate before those who would seek to help and correct him, he became instantly furious and angry. A couple of Proverbs which fit the situation and time in Uzziah's life would include Proverbs 13.10, which says, By pride comes nothing but strife. As you read this account in 2 Chronicles 20, 25, there was a whole lot of strife going on. 26, rather. 26. Proverbs 13.18 says, Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, but he who regards a rebuke will be honored. There was still room for Uzziah to be made right with God, but he chose to reject the correction. Once this once strong and faithful man of God had allowed his pride to grow up and become the all-consuming force in his life where he thought he could just, just go in there and offer sacrifices that he wasn't entitled to, he became so full of his own pride that he could not accept correction. You know what God did? When this man wouldn't listen to priests of God, you know what God did? God stepped in and God re-humbled him hardcore. I don't know how else to put that. God stepped in and re-humbled him hardcore. It says in verse 20, God steps in in verses 19 and 20, and in verse 20 it says, King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Think where he started. Think how pride weaseled and dug and clawed and, and, and made its way into his heart and, and he let it grow and he let it foment and, and he let it get so big and, and all of a sudden he finds himself completely humbled by God. Pride is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. It was his pride, as the title says, it's the killer of compassion, it was his pride which killed off his ability to have compassion for the priests of God who wanted to help and correct him and thereby ultimately caused him to be cut off from the compassion of God. Brings us to the third facet of pride that I want to discuss this morning. Taken in part directly from James 3.16, it says, wherever pride-induced envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. This is biblical facet number three, including part of James chapter three and verse 16. Where this pride-induced self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. Such pride causes chaos and confusion and every evil practice. And it causes those who are caught up in chaos and confusion and evil and abominable practice to seek to want to have even more of it and express and parade their pride in the chaotic and abominable situation in which they live. But, but that's not the only place. That is certainly not the only place. 
The Bible says very clearly that people filled with pride will sometimes forge lies against and treat wrongfully with falsehood those who keep God's commandments in Psalm 119 verse 69 it says the proud have forged a lie against me but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart Psalm 119 verse 78 says let the proud be ashamed for they treated me wrongfully with falsehood but I will meditate on their on your precepts sound like Jesus that fit Jesus that people did that scribes and Pharisees in their pride did to Jesus sure did. Another similar evil that this pride can produce is again just like Jesus encountered is the constant stirring up of strife. Proverbs 13.10 says by pride comes nothing but strife but with the well advised is wisdom. Proverbs 28.25 says he who is of a proud heart stirs up strife but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. Again that happened to Jesus so it's no wonder that God himself condemns pride as hard as he does. We, we talked a few weeks ago as, as we talked, well, last Sunday night about abomination, right? And, and we know that, that some sins in our society are called an abomination more than others. And some of the sins that we practice or that we can fall into, we don't like calling them that. But God does. And, and, and we express that with the amount of times the word is used in the scriptures, but here's one for you. Do you know that pride is an abomination to God? Scripture says in Proverbs 16:5, this. I'm going to leave this slide up here, so if you're taking notes, hang on a minute, break for a minute, listen. Proverbs 16:5 says, Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And it says, though they join forces, none will go unpunished. God says such pride. And, and, and it's easy to understand why. God's not picking on people. God wants you to understand this is poison. This will destroy you. And it will destroy everyone around you. This is a terrible thing. And, and God wants us all to know that and be aware of it so we don't ever let it get a foothold. Because God knows how hard Satan's going to work on each and every one of us to let it in there. Let it in there and let it get started and let it work its way just like it did with Uzziah. And God loves us too much not to warn us. And so he says, this is an abomination. Psalm 59, 12 says, For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them be taken in their pride for the cursing and lying which they speak. Taken in their pride. We can't let it ever, we can't ever be taken in our pride. We can't, we can't let it have that kind God's trying to say, don't let that happen. Don't even let it get in there. You know what the good news is? The beautiful good news is this. I don't know if you've ever struggled with pride, but I'll be honest with you, I have. If you've ever struggled with sin, you've struggled with pride. So yeah, probably most everybody has. There's good news. There's incredible, awesome, beautiful, wonderful, thank God good news. Here's the good news. The good news is that we can turn the tide on pride. That rhymes. We can turn the tide on pride. Yeah, that, that works. We can beat it. We can beat pride. We can expunge it. We can get it out of our hearts. 
We can, we can, and, and, and I know this because of a couple of things. Number one, I know this because of Philippians chapter three, verses one through seven. The apostle Paul there talks about his pedigree, how he was the best of the best, the greatest of the great, the cream of the crop. Paul had a lot to take pride in. Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised the eighth day. I mean, he had a Pharisee of Pharisees. As to the law, faultless. I mean, Paul had it going on. He basically said, ain't a one of you out there can compare with what I was. Nobody. Challenge it or try. Paul was full of pride. Pride enough to get letters from the authorities so that he could go to Damascus and kill Christians. Yeah, that's, that's, that takes a lot of gall. That takes a lot of pride. That takes a lot of, I'm right. I'm going to kill you. There ain't a thing you can do about it. But the beauty is, is that Paul, even with that much pride, Paul went on to say in Philippians chapter 3, that pride is long gone. Or if I may put it another way, those things I consider rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Those things are garbage. Paul beat his pride by the blood of Christ. That's the good news. The damage isn't irreversible. We can beat our pride. And, and not just when we become Christians, but did you know that the scriptures tell us that after we become Christians, this is a daily battle or a, a regular battle. It doesn't use the word daily. This is a battle that we need to keep on fighting. Listen, who did James write to? We all know he wrote to Christians. James chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, to the Jews of the dispersion. We know from our study of James on Wednesday night, he was writing to Christians. He was writing to brethren, those who were baptized into Christ just like we are, those who were members of the Lord's church. That's who he's writing to. We know that Peter did as well. And you know what both James and Peter had to say about this whole pride thing? They wrote to Christians and said basically, I'll take you to the text in a minute, said basically, you've got to keep on humbling yourself in the sight of the Lord. You've got to keep on doing it. Because the, the, the whole unspoken message is Satan is going to keep, just because you're Christian doesn't mean Satan is not going to try to get pride into your heart. It's too big a weapon. It's too powerful a weapon. It's too effective a weapon. It can destroy too much. Just because you become a Christian and you're baptized into Christ does not mean that Satan is going to try to stop putting pride in your heart. He's going to keep right on trying to nail you every day with it. So what did James write? Well, in James chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, he said this. Humble yourself. Get rid of your pride. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? You may recall that the last time we had class in James on Wednesday night, I said we're approaching that verse and we're probably going to spend a whole class on it. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up, you Christians, is what, what he's writing. And the very next verse is do not speak evil of one another. What's the connection? The connection's real easy. We're full of pride. Then we tend to speak evil about others. Because, after all, I mean, they just ain't as good as I am. <laughs> they, deserve, uh, they, they deserve a call into account. I'm going to do it because, after all, I am who I am. And that's pride. That's why I said humble yourself. Peter does the same thing. In 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6, which is up on the slide, 
He put, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You know what he's warning against? Don't let pride in. Brethren, the bottom line is this. If we want to continue to be the Christ-like, compassionate, holy, one day exalted by God children that he wants us to be, then we must resist to the death. The devil's temptations, even on an hourly basis, to plant seeds of pride so that they can grow up and get us to succumb to them. We must avoid even giving it a foothold. You know, it's what happened to God's Old Testament people. Jeremiah chapter 13, again on the slide. These are the last few slides. Jeremiah 13, 8 through 17. If you've never read that, you take a look at it. It was pride that was, caused Jerusalem's downfall, God's Old Testament people. And if it could happen to them, it can happen to us. Let us all determine from this day forward to truly become even more of the kind and humble and loving and forgiving and selfless and others-promoting, compassionate people that God called us to be. You know what he called them in the text? Salt of the earth, light of the world. Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, that sometime in the not-too-distant future, no matter how many years you've been in Christ, sometime maybe this afternoon, Maybe tomorrow morning, maybe within the next three or four days, but certainly sometime real, 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 real soon. Because Satan wants so badly to destroy you because you are the work of God, Satan is going to tempt you to do something. And at the root of that temptation is going to be pride. I deserve it. I'm better. This is for me. Why shouldn't I? I'm going to do this because I like it, because I want it, because I whatever. Somewhere in the next few hours, if not few days, Satan is coming for every one of us to do something we should not do, and the whole basis of its appeal is going to be me. Pride. God says don't let it happen. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. This morning, if you would humble yourself in the sight of the Lord... Be baptized into Christ. Listen, first thing you've got to do if you're going to become Christian is admit you've sinned. You've messed up. You can't do it on your own. That, that, that's crucifying pride. And, and, and you crucify that, that old man of sin by, by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You're basically telling God, look, I can't do this without you. I need your grace. I have sinned. I have messed up. I have, I have done terrible things and I need your forgiveness. I can't make this right. That's what baptism is. And from that day forward, Satan is going to try everything in his power to get you to continue to mess up and put yourself first. And there's times you'll fall, but that's what the grace of God is there for because you get up and you try again. We've all done it. Our God is an awesome God. This morning, if you've been baptized into Christ and you've struggled with some of these things and you just need the prayers of the church to be stronger next time, we'll pray for you, we'll baptize you, we'll help any way we can. Do not let your pride get the best of you this week. Satan's going to unload on you with everything he's got. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, though, and he will lift you up. If you have a need, we come to the front as we stand and sing.